Morning, everybody. Happy New Year to you. I hope that 2016 is, uh, in the words of our Irish brothers and sisters, a cracker for you. We're going to turn to the book of Zechariah. So if you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn it. uh, But don't worry, the words will come up on the screen. We're going to read Zechariah chapter 3. And the context so that we know as we get into this is that God's people are in a mess, a real mess. Years before this, uh, they had been overtaken by the Babylonians and kind of invaded and taken off away from their own land and their temple was destroyed. Uh, And then the Babylonians themselves were invaded by the Persians and there's kind of geopolitical stuff all around the region. Basically, God's people are in a mess. They've begun to be comfortable in Persia, started worshipping the Persian gods. uh, And actually, there's not much kind of desperate need to get back to the temple, get back to Jerusalem. Uh, And also in that context there is a potential possibility that they might get back. There is the opportunity to go back, but are they going to rebuild the temple? That's the question. And into that, we have the book of Zechariah, and we have some prophecies, some visions, some dreams, uh, and we're going to read one of those dreams from chapter 3. Zechariah says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. That's a different Joshua from the one that you kind of know of, but Joshua the high priest, his name is. Standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who's chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I'll put fine garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you'll walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you'll govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I'll give you a place among these standing here. Listen, High Priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on one stone, and I'll engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I'll remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Lord, speak to us through your word, we pray. Amen. So I wonder, what do the following names have in common? Dennis, Sue, Chris. Barbara, Ronnie, Idris. Any ideas? They all got honours in the New Year's honours list. Dennis Law, the great footballer, Sue Barker, Chris Froome, the cyclist, Barbara Windsor, Ronnie O'Sullivan, the snooker player, and Idris Elba, the actor. Now let me ask you, Putting aside your view of New Year's honours and whether you think they're a good thing or not, putting aside your view of the Queen and whether you're a Republican or not, putting aside your view of whether you think this year's New Year's honours this with a scandal or not, 
Let me ask you, imagine if you knew that you were going to get an honour in next year's New Year's Honours list. So next January, you were going to get an OBE, MBE, CBE, or even a knighthood or become a dame. Imagine you knew for definite that was going to happen in a year's time. How would that make you feel and how would that change the way you live this year? But as I was preparing for this uh, this morning, uh, I, I was reading some of the kind of things that happen every year at this time of year where newspapers kind of look ahead to the year ahead and they kind of review the past year and then they look forward with expectation about what the next year will hold. And there's a brilliant comment in a Guardian article looking forward to 2016 and asking all sorts of questions, you know, are we going to be in Europe or out of Europe by this time next year, thinking about the possible uncertainties, the economy and terrorism and all this sort of stuff. There was this brilliant phrase in the middle of it. Listen to this. The journalist wrote, and away from the headlines, the overwhelming majority of people will continue to lead decent, unremarkable lives undeflected by the pulses of pessimism that tend to pollute our overall sense of well-being. I love that phrase. Because it can be easy in the humdrum of what 2016 will be for many of us, the normality of 2016, it can be easy to forget in our unremarkable lives the enormity of the invitation that we have been given that we have been given an invitation that far outstrips any New Year's Honours list, that far outweighs an MBE or a CBE or even a knighthood or becoming a dame. We are being invited to something that is vast and huge and planet-changing. And at various points throughout this year, if we can have my slide on, please, we're going to be thinking about this that we are a people who are invited into something fantastic. And that out of that, then, our invitation then extends to others. And if you're anything like me, at this time of year, you know that New Year's resolutions aren't that successful. You may have already broken them. And there are things in your life that you long to change. You long to be different this time next year, not just becoming an MBE. You long for things inside to be different. And yet you struggle with them. Well, there's a quote that's resonated in, uh, in my head as I've been preparing. And it's this from Charles Spurgeon, where he says, the obedience of faith springs from an internal principle and not from external compulsion. Let me say that again. The obedience of faith springs from an internal principle, not from external compulsion. In other words, if we long to be different, if we long to change our ways in 2016, it starts in our hearts. It starts with the things we believe and the things we feel and the things we see that then outflow in action. And so this morning, what we're doing is we're going back to basics, really back to basics. In this passage, there are three invitations for all of us that if we grasp these invitations, 2016 will be radically different. And we'll really see quite how big what we're invited to is. So three things. Here's the first invitation extended to all of us, and it is this. Maybe 2016 is the year for a new wardrobe for you. Now, I'm not looking at anyone in particular. 
And I don't know if you got your Christmas socks. I've got mine on. I'm not going to show you. But I'm quite pleased with them. Maybe you've already been sale shopping, whether online or actually physically. How old school is that in shops? But maybe this year it's time for a new wardrobe. Because in these verses, we have a dramatic courtroom scene where Joshua is brought before God. And if you like, on one side, there's the accuser, there's Satan. And on the other side, there's the angel of the Lord, all standing before God Almighty. And it's an amazing picture because we read these words. Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Now, if you don't know, Joshua was the high priest. And if you don't know what the high priest did, the high priest was, if you like, the Pope, the Archbishop of Canterbury, all rolled into one. And they could go into the Holy of Holies in the temple once a year and once a year only in fear of their lives because of how holy God was. These were the granddaddies of holiness and they could only appear once before God in one in year. And here is this high priest dressed in filthy clothes. Actually, the Hebrew word for filthy linked with excrement, if you can picture it. You may not like to. Disgusting, this man who is supposed to represent holiness. And I think it's worth us dwelling there for just a moment, if we may. Because when we realize our standing before God, if you like, the clothes we wear, the mess that we are in, I guess that we kind of tend to have one of two different approaches to that. Some of us look around a room like this and believe that we are the worst person in this room. We think to ourselves, if only people knew what I was caught up with. If only people knew the things I've been thinking, the things, that habits that I can't break, the world I'm involved with. If only people knew my spending habits. If only knew people knew my hopes for the future. If only people knew how I spent my time. Some of us, I guess, would think I'm the worst person in this room. And coming on a Sunday morning, we have imposter syndrome. We feel imposters. We don't really belong. We're not as holy as everybody else looking at them around the room. That's one view of this. Or there is an alternative view, is which that when we come into church, we look around at others and actually we're pretty convinced we're slightly better than others. <laughs> yeah, we know our own weakness and stuff, but we're not like theirs. Whoa. I was reading uh, over the last few weeks on Twitter. Have you heard of the humble brag? Anyone heard of the humble brag? So basically where celebrities are trying to be humble, but actually it's a bit of a brag. Let me read some of them. From Will I Am, he said this. Chris, he tweeted this. Christmas shopping today. I haven't been home in three weeks, and now it's Santa I Am time. I'm blessed to give better presents than I receive. <laughs> or Emma Watson. The actress, it's been 10 years, but I still feel so uncomfortable with being recognized. Just a bit shy still, I suppose. Or this one from Stephen Fry, I love this. Oh dear, don't know what to do at the airport. Huge crowd, but I'll miss my plane if I stop and do photos. Oh dear, don't want to disappoint. Humble brag. The reality is, here is the high priest dressed before God in filthy clothes. 
filthy. He is filthy. Twice it mentions it. And the bigger problem in the Bible is not for those people who think they're filthy. The bigger problem is for those who don't think they're that filthy. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says some shocking words. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even the really good stuff we do is like a filthy rag, according to the Bible. Which is why one author, Steve Timmis, said these words. Weakness is often the missing piece of discipleship. Dare we pray for 2016 to be when our frailty presses in on us. Because the truth is we are all here. The American author David Foster Wallace wrote in this brilliant idea in, in his novel, The Pale King. You should try it, a little example of what we could do. He says this, the next time you're sitting with somebody that is a friend, somebody that you know a little bit, and you're just in the middle of a conversation, stop the conversation and look at them in a concerned way and say, what's wrong? <laughs> They'll say, well, what, what do you mean? And you say, well, something's wrong, I, I can tell it. They'll look stunned, and then after a while, they'll say something along the lines of, how did you know? He doesn't realize that something's always wrong with everybody. <laughs> Often more than one thing. And can I make a suggestion? Maybe 2016 is a year in which we put on garments of humility in which actually we recognize our brokenness and weakness. And we recognize that we are no worse or no better than anyone else. Dare I say it, that this aspect of Christianity that is so overlooked in our contemporary world is one of the most liberating aspects of the Bible. Because as we realize how weak and broken and, dare I say it, filthy we are, we realize there is no room for competition with other people. We shouldn't be surprised when people keep on letting us down. And fortunately, we shouldn't be surprised when we keep on letting other people down. And it's only when we grasp the mess we're in do we begin to seek the hope that we need. So we're not imposters. We all belong here. And we're all not better than each other. We are all dressed in filthy rags. But you'll notice that this verse doesn't end there. Thank goodness. You might be saying, Tim, the weather's depressing enough. Don't stay there. Well, look what the angel does. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin. I will put fine garments on you. Do you notice something? What does Joshua do? What is it that's so brave for him to get these new robes? What is it that he does that's really impressive to get rid of this filth? Well, he just stands there. It's done for him, not by him. And that leads to our second invitation this year. Maybe, just maybe, that 2016 will be the year for the party beyond all parties. 
Because it's only when we realize the deep weakness, the deep frailty, the deep, dare I say it, filthiness we have, do we begin to see how good this good news is. How great the gospel of Jesus really is. Because as we move on from this, we begin to see that not only for Joshua is there chance of new clothes, but look at verse 9. I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. One act, removing all of the sin, all of the filth, all of the mess. No wonder there's a party. No wonder this is good news. No wonder it's called gospel. Which is why in the New Testament, Paul says these words. Talking about Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Stunning words. In that one moment on the cross, that great exchange we've talked about, that great transaction. So that in our filth, God looks at us and sees purity if we trust in Christ. In our unrighteousness, he doesn't see the deeds we do. He looks at us and sees beauty, purity, cleanness. Which is why in the ancient church, the old church, what they used to do when they came to baptism is they literally used to go into the pool naked. Imagine trying that at Riverside House, that'd be fun. Literally, they would go in naked, and as they came out, they would get a white robe put on them that they would wear all week, symbolizing the purity in which they now stood. Friends, can I encourage you? If you are here and you are one of those people thinking, if only other people knew the stuff I'm involved with, if you trust in Christ, God looks at you and sees purity. He sees clean garments. He sees his son, which is really good news. I remember when I uh, chatting with somebody in, where I used to live down in London uh, and chatting with him about this. And I remember his words as he began to understand how enormous this was. He said, and I quote, Tim, that sounds too good to be true. And it was at that moment that we began to realize he's got the gospel. That is Christianity. Christianity sounds so good because it is so good. So let me ask you, have you ever thought to yourself, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a very good one? Can I humbly suggest there's no such thing? If you are a Christian, you are perfect in God's sight. That is breathtaking. That is stunning. Why? Because it's not to do with our deeds. He looks at us and sees his son. He looks at us and sees clean robes, not the filth. Now, does that mean, therefore, that we can go and do whatever we want? Of course not. Of course not. It's in that standing that then, of course, we want to live for God, our gracious Redeemer. But the gospel really is good news. If we relate to God on the basis of our own righteousness, we are in a mess. But if we relate to God on the basis of Christ's righteousness, then he looks at us and sees purity. Before we come to our third point, we're going to pause for a prayer. So you may find it helpful to close your eyes. 
And this is a prayer that I found really helpful uh, that just contrasts what Jesus has done and what we feel we so often have to try and do. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for becoming a human being so I do not have to pretend or try to be God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for becoming finite and limited so I do not have to pretend that I am infinite and limitless. I thank you, crucified God, for becoming mortal so I do not have to try to make myself immortal. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for becoming inferior, so I do not have to pretend that I'm superior to anyone. I thank you for being crucified outside the walls, for being expelled and excluded like sinners and outcasts, so you can meet me where I feel I am, always outside the walls of worthiness. May it be so, Lord. Amen. So maybe 2016 is the year for a new wardrobe characterized by humility. Maybe it's to celebrate in the party beyond all parties, recognizing quite how good this good news really is. And may I humbly suggest that if we grasp those two aspects, our great need and the great gift we've been given, then the third thing is naturally obvious. Maybe 2016 is the year to extend the invitation beyond ourselves. Now what I'd love to give you is a card, and I'd love if you could just sort of take one of these and pass them on. This is, if you like, a bookmark that, that is uh, for this year, if you'd like to take it and pass it on, because on it we've simply got that verse. I will remove the sin of this land in a single day, and in that day each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Because if we grasp our need, if we grasp what God has done and the way he sees us, then the natural outworking of this is to extend it then beyond ourselves. In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Do you notice some aspects about that? It changes our relationships with other people. In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit. In other words, there's peace there. There's relationship. There's kind of robustness. Come, sit down. There's pausing. There's, there's no more friction between people. There's no more animosity against your neighbor. How can there be when you know they're a weak sinner just like you're a weak sinner and you know you're every bit as a failure as they're every bit as a failure and yet at the same time they're every bit as pure in God's sight as you are if they're in Christ. How can there be any animosity towards them? Not only is there no more enemies but actually we invite them into our sphere into, as we're under your vine and your fig tree, if you like, the blessings, the good things that you've got, the things that you've been given by God, you invite them to come and sit into that, into the peace that you have because of Christ, into the stability you have, that assurance in your life. Which is why Eugene Peterson in the message 
says when you know Jesus in Matthew 9 says these words where he talks about the, it's, the, it's the sick who need a doctor. And Eugene Peterson says these words. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. What he's simply saying is that Jesus was saying, I'm here for the broken, the desperate, the outcast, the weak, the frail, those who know before God they're filthy, and in that they find hope, freedom, life. And therefore it naturally bubbles out to other people. I saw a great uh, tweet as I come to a close from Denzel Washington recently. You don't tend to think of Denzel Washington being a sage, but this is what he said. Why do we close our eyes when we pray, when we cry, when we kiss? Perhaps it's because the most beautiful things in life are not seen, but they're felt by the heart. I like that. And our hope and prayer that it is this year that we would be people who experience the amazing grace of God in such a way that it changes our hearts so that out of that we become people who are inviting others into our sphere. And that might look different for different of us. It might be inviting people into a deeper relationship with you. So thinking, yeah, actually, I might meet for a coffee with that person more regularly, just developing that relationship. It might be inviting people into your home a bit more. Or or for a meal. You know, Jesus always did business around meals, didn't he? Or it may be inviting people into your groups, your life groups or, or community groups. So they might see and feel something of what we have here, this community, this grace. Or it might be inviting people to church on a Sunday. There's some research done recently in which over a quarter of people said the reason they became a Christian is because they were simply invited into a church. There are empty seats here. We can fill those. People are wanting to come. It was brilliant recently. We invited somebody and they said yes. (laughs) What a surprise. And they loved it. Why? Not because we want to invite, but because we're so overwhelmed that God invites us. We're on the guest list for the greatest party of all. How can we then not bubble that out to other people? Sin gone, barriers between people gone, fears gone. And so what we'd love you to do with this card, on the back you'll see a blank bit. If you've got a pen, you can do it now. If not, take it home. Put this somewhere, whoops, put this somewhere where you will use it constantly refer to it or have access to it and maybe there are two people that you'd love to write their names on this card that you'd love during 2016 to invite them more into your sphere whatever that looks like for you not out of a sense of duty or burden but because you're so gripped by what God has done for you So to think of those two and then to pray for them, continue asking God to give you opportunities to invite them in, to sit with you, as it were. May it be so. Let's pray together. And as we pray, is there something that you know has been for you in what we've been thinking about? Maybe something's landed on you, something's resonated with you. 
Maybe, if you're honest, you've had a slightly different view of yourselves this morning. You've never seen yourself like that. Maybe for some of us it is an awareness of our own weakness that God has been showing us. Maybe for others of us it is an awareness that actually we're overwhelmed by guilt and actually we can be free because God sees his son. And maybe for others of us, we know there's people in our hearts, on our hearts, that we'd love just to, as it were, invite into our sphere this year so that they, like we, might be on the guest list to the greatest party ever. Father, thank you for the gospel of Jesus, that it really is true good news that changes everything. May we this year be a people who live in the light of that, we ask. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.